Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the trouble of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I'm preaching and ministering today under this thought and topic, a miracle of wholeness. That's being made complete, being made whole, a miracle of wholeness. God bless you. You may be seated. Also honoring the crafts here today, fellow evangelists. And I know that Reverend Robin Craft is out ministering, so we miss him. But uh, we love uh, Sister Gwen and also we're godfathers. I just found that out a couple of days ago, but it's, it, we love their kids very much. Amen. John, in his gospel, as well as his epistles and the revelation of Jesus Christ, demonstrates the giftings and the talents that he has been given. He is an enlightener for the kingdom, one who receives revelation from God and can give revelation. This is why we often call him John the Revelator. If you want someone to receive revelation and to be able to share it, then the gift residing in that person would be key to having revelation. It's it's why we do things like a lot of our uh, broadcasters, sports broadcasters, our former players because you want someone with an understanding, with an ungifting, and with, with some kind of experience, as John does, so he is the revelator. So here in John chapter 5, there is rich revelation, more than just a great story. And I feel in the Holy Ghost, I want to share it with you today. The first thing that you'll find is a parallel begins to shape in John chapter 5. And the scripture declares there was a feast of the Jews. If you do a study here chronologically, you'll find through the first few chapters of John that this feast that is being spoken of was probably the Passover feast or even more likely the feast of Pentecost. So I would submit for your reasoning and revelation to start that the first parallel is that this is speaking not just of a story that happened 2,000 years ago, but this is also a message to those who've had the Pentecostal experience in their life. Has anybody here spoken tongues when the Holy Ghost came? Are you thankful for the Pentecostal experience? As we read just a little further, we find that this place is close to Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, the name of this city, means city of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace. And there is no city you can go into worldwide, not in the day of this writing and not in the time that we're living in, that is truly a city of peace. Even in the United States of America with all of its military power and might, there's no city we can go to anywhere in our nation and say, ah, perfect peace. Because even among us, there's protest and revolts and lawlessness is running rampant and people are doing things that are very much outside of law and society and there's no peace. But there is a city of peace and that's the city called Mount Zion. Mount Zion represents the church of the living God. And you can have wars and rumors of wars happening even right in our neighborhoods. But if you're a part of the church of the living God, you've got a peace that passes all understanding. And no matter what comes and what goes, that peace of God is within you. So I would submit the second parallel is this is speaking of those that have the Pentecostal experience and those that live in the city of Mount Zion or are part of the church of the living God. Next, you'll find that this place is by a sheep market. And any time that you see sheep in the scripture, it's referring to the people of God. This is why Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. That makes us the sheep. David said in Psalms 100 that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's why we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. This represents a relationship that Pentecostals, those who've had the experience, those that live in Mount Zion, have a relationship with the Lord as their shepherd. The third parallel. The next thing I'd bring your attention to is this place is called Bethesda. Bethesda. And just like Jerusalem means city of peace, Bethesda means house of mercy. Again, no house you can go into worldwide. That's a true house of mercy except the house of the living God. The best that man's wisdom can do in this study of psychology, psychiatry, and the best that we can do in medicine, what we can do with our intellect, the best we can do is this tell you to identify who you are and get up every morning, look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm an addict or I'm this or I'm that. Not to forgive you or to change you, but to try to live with what is in you. That's the best we can do and thank God for any man's intellect and help. But when you come to be a part of the church of the living God, this is true mercy because you can come into this house with addictions, with stuff that you have dealt with all your life, generational curses, but let the Holy Ghost get a hold of you and you'll leave this place a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and behold, all things have become new. No true house of mercy like the house of God. So the next parallel, speaking of those, they call the Lord their shepherd, have the Pentecostal experience, live in the city of mercy, the city of peace, the house of mercy, call the Lord their shepherd. The last thing that I bring your attention to is the scripture declares here that this miracle happened on the Sabbath. 
And those that know this by study realize that the New Testament Sabbath fulfilled is the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life. By this you cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing with stammering lips in another tongue. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Sabbath is the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life. So I can point to even more parallels in this chapter that is absolutely letting us see John the Revelator is trying to let us see there's more here than just a great miracle of a man being made whole. But there's a message here between the lines and hidden underneath for those who are hungry for revelation and enlightenment. And it's for those who've had a Pentecostal experience. Those that call the Lord their shepherd. House of mercy, city of peace. Those that are in the New Testament Sabbath. So if we establish that this is what John is trying to reveal to us, then in the very next verse, it's a little shocking. For he declares in these or in the church or those with a Pentecostal experience, those that call the Lord their shepherd, the house of mercy, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, of withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, I know the church is spoken of as being strong and powerful, mighty with banners, terrible with banners. This is absolutely the church that is placed at the gate of hell, and the gate of hell cannot prevail against it. That is truth. But within the church are absolutely multitude of individuals in the church, part of the church, Pray in the Spirit. Call the Lord their shepherd that are identified in these four groups. Impotent folk, blind, halt, and withered. Now, of course, when we look at this in the physical realm, there's a little bit of that that we have. But absolutely, this is a strong parallel for the spiritual realm. This first group of people speaking about those that are impotent folk. In generality, in the physical, it speaks of having no strength in various different areas of your life. In the spiritual realm, impotent folk here speaks of those with no spiritual strength in various areas of your spiritual life. This represents people who somehow do not know how to fight the good fight of faith. It's those that have not yet become experienced and sharp with their weapons of warfare and putting on the whole armor of God. I I hope you realize that when you have been called to this tremendous calling to be part of the church, it is a battle. It is a fight. And you fight for your soul as the enemy tries to fight against you. And you fight for your family. And you fight for your loved ones. And you fight for your city. This is why we try to have revival. It's because we're fighting for our world and our generation today. And there's way too many among us in the church, call the Lord their shepherd, have the Pentecostal experience, that have very little spiritual strength. It seems why it's the easiest thing to do when battle comes is to make sure you got speed dial to hit that prayer warrior that knows how to pray. Nothing wrong with reaching out to an intercessor. 
making sure that pastor is on his knees praying for your situation. Nothing wrong with allowing pastor to join you in praying first lady. But the same Holy Ghost in them is the same Holy Ghost in you. Something should rise up in you, a battle cry, where you can declare, get behind me, Satan, that you know how to go to war in prayer. You know how to go to battle in fasting. And you can stand and do battle for your family and for your city and for your nation. Way too many among us, even in this house today, the Spirit has allowed identification of those who are struggling with spiritual strength. Along with these, the next group we find here is Jesus finds those that are blind. Blind. Of course, in the physical realm, it speaks of those that have not sight. But in the spiritual realm, it speaks of those with little vision. Maybe with lack of revelation, but more so with little vision. And you can't realize where we are. I hope you know. I hope you see. I hope you understand where we are in history. This is a time of destiny for the church. And yes, there's going to be a lot of pressure put against the church to submit and to go the way of everyone else in the world. But we have to be led of the Spirit in these last days. We must be a church that is apostolic in these last days. And so with all the things that we're facing, we need to realize this is a momentous time. The coming of the Lord is just around the bend. The revival that's been prophesied to us is upon us right now. So we need to realize the vision of where we are. Way too many people among us, yes, Pentecostal experience, yes, live in the house of mercy that don't realize where we are in church. You don't have the vision. You can't see it. The next group of people is those that are halt. The physical, it's those that are crippled. In the spiritual realm, it speaks of those who've not yet learned to walk a consistent, overcoming walk with God. It's fallen into the same traps and the same mistakes. It is not the will of God for you to pray through on Sunday or pray through at Youth Congress or pray through at camp meeting and then just try to hold on till the next revival or the next meeting. God wants you to walk an overcoming walk on Sunday and then on Monday and then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's the will of God for you to walk an overcoming walk. And too many among us have not learned to battle and to fight and to walk a consistent overcoming coming walk this is identifying where we live today those with little spiritual strength those that do not have the vision and those among us part of the church that are not walking the overcoming walk that need to walk the last group of people identified here is those that are withered in the physical realm it speaks of a lack of blood flow that there is no flow of blood so that there is no ability for a hand. In the scripture, we see a man with a withered hand that God heals, and that hand must have been discolored from lack of blood flow. It was probably dis- uh, 
shriveled up. It was it was non-usable. It was a sight that he probably hid from most individuals. And when we speak of withered in the spiritual, it speaks of the experience of God and our peace, the experience of joy that God gives us, a freshness of the Holy Ghost. No wonder it's difficult for us to reach out and to lift somebody else up if our own testimony has become dry. It's difficult to speak to someone else of joy if our experience of joy has become dry. Way too many among us withered. These are the four groups that John begins to share with us through Revelation is present in Bethesda, the house of mercy, Jerusalem, the city of peace, here with the Pentecostal, here with Bethesda, here with the five porches, here with the New Testament Sabbath. But it's good news today that Jesus still goes to Bethesda. I'm glad Jesus still goes to church. I'd hate to come to church and sing songs and him not show up. (laughs) Maybe some people are content with that, but I would hate to go to church and lift my hands and not feel his presence. I'm so thankful for his favor and his presence that comes to Branches Church. Amen. Jesus walking up and down the aisles, as it were, of Bethesda. And the scripture says that he was looking. When Jesus goes to church, he's not just going to show up, but he's always present with purpose. It behooves us to do more than just to get in his presence, but we also need to get into his purpose. If he's showing up for a reason, then let's do more than just get in his presence. Then let's get in the reason why he's showing up. And if he's here today for healings and miracles, then whatever we've got to do, I want my faith to be extended. I want to be vulnerable in his presence. I want to make sure that his purpose becomes my purpose as well. Jesus is looking for something, but what he found is not what we would think you'd find among a church. They have a habit here in Bethesda. They're waiting for a certain season, and at a certain season, if water is troubled, and whoever's the first one in is made whole. Sometimes you got to push past the familiarity of just another Sunday and realize that God is doing a work in the place today. And have faith to understand that we don't need to wait for a certain season. Don't wait for the next camp meeting. Don't don't wait for the next revival. But when God begins to stir whatever it is, let's get in the middle of it principle here of the first one in stepped in is a principle I've seen exacted through years and years of revival services. It's the first ones in that are made whole of whatsoever disease. When the angel or the servant of God begins to stir the water, it's the ones that are not waiting on somebody else and seeing how somebody else will respond and stepping back to see this and to see that and what's this one going to think. It's those that just jump right in. The first ones in are made whole. This is a principle that the Holy Ghost will exact again in this place. In just a few moments' time, when it's time for healings and miracles of wholeness, it's the first ones in that are going to be healed of whatsoever you're dealing with in your spirit. 
Jesus finds a man. I want you to see how many people he passes by. The scripture says in Bethesda there's a multitude. And he's not stopping for any of them. Does that seem strange? Going right by people with with needs of healing and needs of miracles. But Jesus is not just looking for needs. Everyone here probably has a need. But he's looking for someone who has faith in the middle of their need. This is very congruent with the ministry of Jesus Christ. With blind Bartimaeus on the road to Jericho, Jesus would pass him by. But that blind Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples are in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. And the storm is so strong that they know they are going to drown. And Jesus walks on the storm as if to pass them by. Well, does he know we have a need? Obvious. Does he know our situation? Absolutely. Does he have the answer? Yes. But he's willing to walk right by because he's not just looking for needs. He's looking for someone who has faith and vulnerability to cry out in the middle of their need. Jesus, have mercy on me. And finally, the scripture says that Jesus saw a man who had been here 38 years. But when Jesus saw him, the scripture says that he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. First of all, this is an operation of the Spirit that he knew. That's a word of knowledge. He knew that this man had been there now a long time in that situation. The key to this phrase is the word now. Now. He had been there now a long time. What's the difference between that and being there a long time? It's just a matter of perception. Because if you have been there a long time, 38 years, two weeks, it's just a long time. But if you come to a place in your life that you're sick and tired of dealing with the same problem, you are sick and tired of not overcoming, you are tired of not having the vision in these last days, you want to have new joy, new peace, you want your experience. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, then you've been there now (laughs) a long time in that case. And so Jesus speaks to him, understand This is the point of faith that stops Jesus, a man who's just tired of being like he has been. And Jesus speaks to him because speaking to him in a way that demands an answer will make the man's faith be spoken. And so he declares to this man this question, Wilt thou be made whole? Doesn't that seem like a rhetorical question? Come on, who doesn't want to be made whole? But it's a very real question. And the truth of the matter is, everybody does not want to be way whole. I was preaching a church service some time ago now, and the power of God was moving for physical healings. And I went back to a gentleman that I'd never met before, and I said, Sir, I realize that there's a lot of pain in your back, and God's going to heal you right now. When I lay hands on your head, I want you to speak the name of Jesus with me. That pain's going to leave, and you're going to be completely healed. And he looked back at me and he said, well, preacher, I want you to pray for me. But honestly, I don't want to be healed. I was kind of shocked. I picked my jaw back up off the ground and I said, you're kidding me. What what are you talking about? And he said, well, 
Truth of the matter is, I'm getting disability from the government. And if I'm healed, I'll have no excuse. And so I'm going to have to go back to work. Now, I, I thank God, and if you need help, I thank God for help that comes to every individual. But if you have the ability to choose to work, get healed and work, and you choose not to, then the Scripture applies to you that a man that won't work is worse than an infidel, and he deserves to not eat. I think we believe that in the physical realm, but it hurts a little more when we bring it to the spiritual realm. If we have the opportunity to be made whole in our spirits, in our vision, in our joy, in our peace, and we choose not to, then maybe we don't deserve to eat of the beautiful things that come in a church service in the presence of God and the blessing of his power and his anointing. I told you that hurt a little bit. It was almost the same kind of situation. I went to pray for a lady. She's in a wheelchair. My faith was so strong. I told her, ma'am, I'm going to pray for you right now, and you're getting up out of this chair. I'm going to get in it just for fun. You're going to push me all over the auditorium. And she said, oh, Sonny, you know it's not good when that's how they start. Sonny, she said, pray for me, but I don't want to be healed. And I said, Mama, what do you mean? And she said, well, it might sound bad, but... This chair opens doors for me. She said, people, everyone in the place will come by and hug on me and love me because they have sympathy for me in this chair. She said, when I go to leave, someone's always going to get the door, going to grab the chair and push me and help me. If we have fellowship in the fellowship hall, they're going to put me in first of the line or someone's going to put me at a table and go get the food for me. She said the words that people say to me are so, she had so identified with what had hurt or handicapped her until she wanted to stay in a place where she's being babied. And when the opportunity came for her to be able to walk and to do things for herself, she said, no, let me stay in a place where I can be babied. Some people don't want to grow up in God because they like being babied. When you are brand new in the Lord, a new babe in Christ Jesus, as the Word says, every time that you cry from a pain, everybody jumps up to take care of you. If there's any mess that you've made, everyone's going to make sure this is just what we do for our babies, physical and spiritual. But after a while, when you're a teenager, you don't need someone to change your diaper unless there's something dreadfully wrong. You expect to be able to walk on your own and to work yourself and to do things. And many people do not want to be healed because of these two things. They don't want spiritual healing because they like not working spiritually. And they don't want to be spiritually healed because they like being babied. Oh, you poor thing, what you went through, what happened to you? It's a very real question that we have to answer today. I'm not trying to be mean. I need to identify something. We need to answer this question. Do we really want to be made whole? Because not everybody does. And when Jesus asked this question, wilt thou be made whole? The man now has a chance to speak faith. And for years I wondered where is the faith and what this impotent man answered. For he uses every negative you can think of. 
I can't, I don't, I won't. Negative, negative, negative. Where is faith in this? And the man says, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Someone always beats me into that place of healing and miracle. But what he does say of faith is this. I have no man to put me in, but while I am coming. This is a continual action of this man. He's been here 38 years. At least we can read that into the story. He has watched through the years many, many individuals get their miracles. And he has never been the first one because he's probably paralyzed from maybe his neck down. And he has no ability to get into the pool. So he has to depend on somebody else to do something. In my imagination... This paralyzed man now has seniority, okay? I believe after 38 years, you got to be close to the pool, right? You got to get closer. And he's afraid to go to, he wouldn't close it, he wouldn't miss a church service because that might be the opportunity when the troubling of the water happens. And so he's waiting, he's watching, and when he sees the troubling of the water, he's trying to get in, but he can't stand up. He can't pull himself with his arms. Maybe the best that he can do is throw his head, if he can do that, to try to overbalance himself to fall into the pool. But while he's doing that, he's trying. He's yelling for somebody, throw me in the pool. Kick me in the pool. Drag me in the pool. I don't care what you've got to do. Do whatever you've got to do, even if it's a little hurtful. Get me in the pool. So here's his faith. He doesn't have the ability to get in the pool where the healing is happening, but he's still trying every time. These are two points of faith. That is all you have to have today for a miracle of wholeness. you got to be sick and tired of being like you are, and you got to be willing to try one more time. That's all you need today, sick and tired and willing to try. And so... When Jesus hears this faith, Jesus speaks to the man, declares unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. This is not the way Jesus did other miracles. In fact, we see crippled individuals in the book of Acts being lifted by the name of Jesus by the hands of the apostles, lifted them up. Jesus doesn't do that. It doesn't even look like he touches him. Thank God he didn't spit on him. As he did with other miracles. But what he does for this man is give him three commandments that the man could not obey. That's right. He told the man, get up. Well, if the dude could have got up, he wouldn't have been laying there for 38 years. Pick up your bed. If he could have done that, his friends wouldn't have been carrying him on the cot there day after day to sit there and wait for the miracle. Walk? Oh, yeah. He would have walked out of there. Three commands that the man probably has tried a thousand times. How many well-meaning friends have come to him as he laid as a paraplegic perhaps? And they've said, Josiah, I just picked that to sound like a good biblical name. I think if you would concentrate really hard with your brain, that you could send a brain brain impulse 
to the nerves in your body. And I think that if you concentrate, you could make that pinky wiggle. And how many times did he try that as other people had asked him to or he tried himself and failed? Understand what he's being asked here to do. He's tried over and over and over and over. And he's not been able to do anything. Not one whit better. But something different happens when Jesus speaks words of authority. Because he who stood on the edge of void and said, let there be light, demonstrated his power through his spoken word by letting light be dispersed across this universe and began to declare through his spoken word creative power. So when Jesus declares to this man, rise up, pick up your bed and walk, the authority for creative power is in that man's hands. This happened so many times in church services. I, I just felt a miracle power moving to this place. This happens so often in church services where the Spirit leads the servant of God to begin to speak and words of authority are declared. But there has to be more than words of authority. Now we've got to decide if we'll respond with our faith. And sometimes our faith is strong enough that we can run through a troop and leap over a wall, but sometimes our faith is like this. We're just sick and tired, and we're willing to try one more time. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, I'm using a little bit of my imagination here. When the man hears this, he tries what he has tried a thousand times before, but this time it's different because when he wheels his little pinky, it moves. So he gets his hands, and I think that it was probably a spastic-like move to get his hands under him and then somehow push himself up and stand. But he arose. Then he hears the second command, now pick up your bed. And so he reaches down and picks up that cot. What a strange command. And he begins to hold it again. Maybe he doesn't look like the strongest man in the world, but there he is. And then the third command, walk. And so he takes and just throws one foot in front of the other and throws the other. I believe that his first actions maybe were very disjointed and spastic-like. But when he obeyed, immediately he was made whole. Now, here's the difference between healing and being made whole. Healing can join whatever is severed in a spinal column or whatever is damaged in a brain and heal it. But a man that has been laying there for 38 years, his muscles should have atrophied. They're just nothing but skin on bone. He has no muscles. It should be impossible for him to stand up. He should not have equilibrium, athleticism. He should not have balance. He should have no strength to be able to pick anything up and walk. But a miracle of wholeness is like it erases every injury and every hurt and every brokenness. It's like you were never hurt. It's like you were never damaged. It's like you never went through that problem. <laughs> and you have a miracle 
wholeness. I'm done. Let me minister. In the sake of miracle of wholeness happening for us today, we have to do the same pattern that we see in John 5. First of all, we've got to ask ourselves, do we want to be made whole? Do we want to be made spiritual whole? Because it's going to demand a couple of things of us. There'll be no more spiritual welfare. Going to have to take responsibility. There'll be no more babying. Going to have to grow and mature. So if we decide, no matter what the cost, I want to be whole. I want to be healed. Then you've got to hear the commands of Jesus that are very, very apropos to where we are. The first thing that we'll have to do is hear that statement that Jesus says, arise or get up. Not physically right now, but we've got to hear that request, that that command. And we've got to stand on our own two feet. We've got to quit making excuses about the last church we went to or about what mama said or what this happened in my life or what that spouse did or what this. We've got to quit making excuses and say, I am going to live for God no matter what. I'm going to take responsibility, stand on my own two feet, and take responsibility for my salvation. Can I go further and say take responsibility for your ministry because no man can stop your ministry and the truth is no man can start your ministry. No organization can keep you. If you're not operating in your ministry, then you need to get some things settled between you and God, some growth and some maturity happening because it's between you and God. Stand on your own two feet. And the second command we've got to hear today is pick up your bed. And that simply means that people have carried us into his presence with their prayer, with their faith, with their demonstration. And we've got to learn to pick up what's been carrying us and start carrying it. it. And if nobody else worships, it don't matter. I'm going to go and worship. If nobody else is praying, I'm going to find a place of prayer. If nobody else has faith, I'm going to find a place of faith. If everybody else is giving in to all the pressures of the world, I'm going to stand and I'm going to walk in faith. Pick up what's been carrying you and start carrying it. The last one is so important. Then you got to walk. And that means more than what happens in an experience in just a few moments in this altar. You're going to have to get up Monday. When it's Monday, Monday. And it's probably rainy days and Mondays if I read the forecast properly. It's, it's just going to be Monday, and you're going to face all the things out there, and it's not going to be the presence of God and the worship and the flow, and you're going to have to do this. Take one foot and just throw it in front of the other and say, today I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to live for him today. I'm going to find someone to testify today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to meditate today. And when Tuesday comes, you just take the other foot and throw it in front and say, today is the day that the Lord hath made. It will be a day that I'm an overcomer, that I walk. You've got to decide to walk, to put one foot in front of the other. Authority will be spoken into your lives in just a few moments. But you're going to have to decide. The fulfillment of it won't happen in just an experience. You're going to have to rise up, pick up your bed, and walk to receive the wholeness that God has for you. Would you stand with me?
The truth of the matter is, many are in this place today that have been, like Mephibosheth, dropped by spiritual leaders. And because people that you depended on and loved did things that were hurtful to you, you become crippled. And so sometimes it's not even your fault. You were dropped. Circumstance of life ripped ripped out from under you and your faith was damaged. A lot of times it's not your fault. And then others of us know very well it's the choices we made that brought us to the place where we're at. But no matter how you get to the place where you're not walking overcoming walk or you don't have the vision that the Spirit is speaking to the church or your joy has been withered, your peace has been withered, your testimony, whatever you find yourself to that place, You've got to make the decision. I'm sick and tired. And I'm willing to try one more time in this place. And then if you'll let words of authority be spoken, and you'll walk tomorrow, what you've never been able to do, although you've tried a hundred times to walk, to see, to have peace, authority will be spoken. And when you walk tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, wholeness. It's an immediate wholeness that is waiting for you. In Jesus' name. I feel the troubling of the water. This is what I'm asking in altar. If you need a miracle of wholeness, I know everyone. I understand that. Pentecostals, I know that. Lord, the shepherd, I know that. That's who we are. But in the house, God wants to give miracle of wholeness to his people. The Father wants to give healings to his children. There's a chance. So the water's trouble right now. If you want a miracle, don't worry about anybody around you. Just come stand in the front right now. Don't come praying. Just come stand in the front all across this auditorium. They're coming from the front. They're coming from the back. Come close. There will be many that come. There you go. Allow people to get in and around. <laughs> In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you help me just play softly, Sister Shelley? In Jesus' name. Would you worship just a little bit? Give your voice to worship for just a little bit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Tell me your name again, sis. Shannon. Would you bring your volume down? I'm going to minister to just a few people as they give me liberty. So I don't want to be a confusion while I'm ministering individuals. So. Just under your breath, if you